Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And Father, we ask now as we spend this time continuing in our worship, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to give you a heart of worship in being submitted to the truth of your word and wanting to hear your voice. So, Lord, give us expectant hearts. Give us an ear to hear. Prepare us by your spirit. And we pray now that we would hear not wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience that demonstration of your spirit and power communicating to our hearts through the word of God. And we ask together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, outdoor, indoor. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. You know, perhaps you have asked this question, what should... I do. What should I be doing in my life? What should I be doing in this time right now with what we're going through in our nation? I want you to know that God hears that question, and I even think God seeks to answer that question. In fact, I think the question is in many ways answered right here in our text in front of us this morning. As our country is enduring a time of instability, a time of tremendous unrest, a time where many people are having feelings of uncertainty. What are we as Christians, as servants and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, supposed to be doing during this time that we find ourselves going through right now? Honestly, one might draw some conclusions looking at those who call themselves Christians by kind of observing the way that God's people behave during times like this. More particularly, we might say listening as well to the way that God's people are speaking and what things we're talking about during a time like this is quite revealing. Remember, Jesus himself said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, Jesus said our heart condition directly influences our communication. The idea is we can tell a lot about ourselves and what's going on in our own heart and a lot about others by simply paying attention to what the prominent thing is that we talk about and the way that we speak. And look, there is a condition of heart that God wants his people to be in, whether it's right now or whether it's at all times. And there is also something God wants us to be doing in a way that God wants us to be using our words to communicate. And I think this passage tells us directly exactly what that is. And so I think it'd be wise for us to look at the passage, though it may be very familiar to some of us, and let it search our hearts once again. And let the Holy Spirit, if need be, bring conviction to us or maybe guide us into what we should be more intentionally seeking to do to bring honor to the Lord. You'll notice with me, if you would, to the end of verse 18, here we have one of the few occasions in God's word where we're directly and specifically told exactly what God's will is without question. Probably one of the biggest questions we ask so often as Christians, what's God's will? How do I know what God's will is? Well, there's a few occasions in the Bible where there's no question God specifically and directly says, this is the will of God. You notice the end of verse 18, it directly says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That as someone in Christ Jesus and a relationship with Jesus Christ, where you live for him as Lord, this is God's will for you. This is specifically what God has decided he wants from us. It's not the way of the world. 
It's not the way of my human will, depending upon how I feel or what my strong ideas are about certain things. This is something God says, this is what I want. This is my preference. This is what I have decided and determined I want you to be doing as my follower. And of course, it's intended by God's love for us and his welfare for our best interest to do what is best for us as well as what is best for others. And you notice as well, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit personalizes it. Maybe it was just it personalized it to me in this past week that he says, this is the will of God for you, for you. That is God saying, I'm talking directly to you, not to those around you. This is something God is saying that I want you to know I'm asking of you. I'm instructing of you. That is every one of us here should recognize and pay attention and take it to heart because this is God's will for us individually. It's not God's ideas for a group of people corporately, but for you and I personally. And of course, what Paul's referring to is the three short commands we find above it, the statements above, which are God's will for us. And you'll notice as we look at this, all these instructions in verse 16 through 18 directly deal with how we are speaking. That is how we're using our words in our capacity to communicate. You know, by the grace of God, he has given to every one of us this blessed capacity to be able to talk. And it is a gift, honestly, to be able to communicate to express ourselves. Those who don't have that ability, that's a a very difficult way to live. But for the majority of us, God has given us this gracious gift to be able to express ourselves in words. And depending, however, upon how we utilize our speech, that can either be a blessing or it can actually sometimes be a real curse. And God here tells us, look, I want you to use your voices in a way that I will for you to use them. I want you to use your expression of words in a way that I prefer what is best for you and best for others. And to the degree that we do God's will in these things, I find we won't be as inclined to use our words in ways that are sinful, in ways that are counterproductive, in ways that just cause more problems or ultimately is just unhealthy speech. And remember, Jesus said it's our heart condition that's the root source of how we communicate You notice we get three commands in verse 16, 17, and 18. You might define them in this way. Be joyful, be prayerful, and be grateful. Or another way to say the same thing is if the Holy Spirit's saying, celebrate the Lord, communicate with the Lord, and be appreciative before the Lord. And let me be the first to admit among us by saying that these things, they don't come automatic to me as a person. As I navigate life, this isn't my automatic response and attitude, but rather they have to be conscious choices that we make every day, sometimes every hour, in faith and obedience to what pleases God. Notice with me first in verse 16, he says, rejoice always. So the first thing we see there is that we are to be joyful as we celebrate the Lord. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. The word rejoice just means to be full of joy. And the word joy is basically defined as the experience of things like delight and pleasure, enjoyment and gladness. So the word rejoice therefore speaks of, you could kind of simplify it to an attitude of celebration. The idea is that you're just always celebrating. You're celebrating as the regular attitude of heart. Now, I know that some of us say, come on, that, that just seems unrealistic. 
How could you possibly be in a continuous or somewhat routine attitude of celebration? Well, I would say true. Apart from having the Lord as a focus to have something good to celebrate, apart from having the Lord as a reason for celebration, that's not possible. Everyday life on this fallen planet that's cursed with sin and problems brings us stress and challenges and difficulties and hardships, and it does not provide anyone a constant source of celebration. If it's just about circumstances, there's not an ultimate opportunity to just rejoice in that always, because no matter how good you may have it, life on earth is is not always a picture-perfect party. It's not always smooth sailing. Sometimes it's rough and difficult waters. And then as you go through trials and hardships, it becomes more difficult to kind of have an attitude of celebration. Yet the Bible tells us in James 1, as well as in 1 Peter chapter 1, that we actually can be greatly rejoicing even when we're grieved by various trials. The question becomes, how is that humanly possible? How is it possible to be grieving or struggling or in pain or in personal hardship And yet in the midst of that, at the same time, still celebrating. Well, let me make it very simple. You have to have something greater than your circumstance to celebrate. And Paul gives us the answer to that in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, where there he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then it's almost as if the Holy Spirit knew sometimes we don't pay attention. And he said, again, I say rejoice rejoicing in the Lord. And keep in mind, when Paul wrote those words in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord, he was stuck in a very unpleasant circumstance. He was in prison. His rights had been taken away from him by the government. He found himself in a painful situation. He was suffering personal hardship. And yet he tells us specifically the key to how we can rejoice always that is unlike the world who's limited by circumstances to find some pleasure gladness enjoyment something to celebrate we can find satisfaction fulfillment and rejoice in the lord in who he is in what we get to know about him we have an opportunity and a reason for continually celebrating over the lord himself by things that we know about the lord his goodness his faithfulness, his love, his power to help us, the things that he's done for us, the things that we know that he still can do for us. We have the privilege to be able to rejoice in what he's intended for us as believers on the other side of the veil when we get out of this world, which is the glory of heaven. Remember, Jesus said in Luke 10.10, he said, rejoice, and then he added that your names are written in heaven. And Jesus said, if you can't find anything else to rejoice in every day, every hour, Lord, thank you at least on the other side of this, I'm going to be in glory. Thank you that you spared me from my sin and you've spared me from eternal damnation and suffering in hell, which is what I really deserve. And that, Lord, one day you're going to release me and allow me to be in your presence forever. That's why Paul actually says to us in 2 Corinthians 6 that we can be sorrowful and yet rejoicing simultaneously at the same time. That is, you can be grieving, sorrowing, and still find a way to actually rejoice at the same time. So how does that work itself out practically where we're rejoicing always? What does that look like practically? Well, it looks like making a conscious decision to regularly and routinely enter into times of worship of God. 
to continuously worship the Lord, whether privately or whether publicly, coming together with God's people and worshiping and celebrating the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous. Oh, you don't know what's going on in my life. I don't have anything to be glad about anymore. Well, you can be glad in the Lord. You can be glad that the Lord is real and he loves you and he's involved in your life and he wants to help you. Psalm 33 says, rejoice in the Lord. And how do we do that? He tells us, sing unto him. I love what the writer of Habakkuk says in regards to this subject. Habakkuk 3 says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, the idea is there's no evidence of any fruit. Even though the olive crop fails, everything keeps failing. And the fields produce no food and our barns are empty. Even though there's no sheep in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy, he says, in the God of my salvation. Again, the idea there is when everything may indeed be bad or seem bad, you can navigate it by focusing on the goodness of God and letting that be what you celebrate in. As a believer, we have this privilege of a constant opportunity to be celebrating even in the midst of what's going on in our circumstances. And to enjoy the benefits of that as God lifts your spirit through the process of celebration and worship. As you begin to seek the Lord, your inward life becomes renewed. And though the outward man is perishing, the inward man can still be renewed. And God lifts your focus off of this earth. And God, in a sense, renews your mind and strengthens you once again. The Bible says times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. It tells us in Acts chapter 2, you will make me full of joy in your presence. And let me just say this morning, I don't know exactly how that works, but I know it does. And I would hope that most of you know what it's like as well. There is something about when you just enter into a time of worship, seeking and praying and singing to the Lord and just expressing your heart in worship. Whether I do that alone, whether I'm driving in my car or whether I'm sitting in my home or where, and I just turn on worship music and you just begin to just worship the Lord, something happens on the inside. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, God just begins to lift the load and he begins to refresh your inward man. And the same thing in coming together, congregating as God's people. There is something miraculous something mystical and powerful that happens when God's people come together and worship begins to happen and the Holy Spirit begins to move among God's people. So the first thing he tells us is that we should celebrate the Lord. This is God's will, no question, that we focus on celebrating the Lord. The second thing he mentions that's God's will for us in verse 17 is very simply that we would be prayerful. He says in verse 17, pray without ceasing. And here he's speaking of communication with the Lord. And notice recurring, frequent communication, talking together with God. So important that we remember that prayer is not a religious practice. It's a relational privilege. Too often we tend to focus on prayer as a religious practice. Well, I should pray. It's the right thing to do. And, and we focus on prayer like it's a religious practice that we're obligated to. It's not a religious practice. It's a relational privilege that as a child of the living God, you can have direct access to God the Father and come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Even as an earthly child has direct access to their father, no matter how important he is, 
It doesn't matter who he is. To that child, that's still dad. And they don't honor special protocol. They realize I have direct access. I can think of how through the years, especially when my girls were younger, I could have been in the midst of counseling somebody who's having a life crisis, and my kids would just interrupt. And I had no problem with them interrupting. You had to teach them a little common courtesy, but they understood relationship. That's my dad. I have constant direct access to him whenever I want because they understood relationship. And they aren't concerned with special protocol or did I say it right or how am I talking? Is, you know, is my intercession with dad uh, suitable? Or am I using the right words? Do I sound spiritual enough? How do kids talk to parents? It's just direct, honest conversation. It's just free communication. They say what's on their heart and mind. And that's really what prayer is intended to be, just honest conversation with God in a relational way. I mean, consider how a young child talks to their parent, and that's the picture God gives to us in regards to how we are to talk to him. God wants our life to be lived in intimacy with him and dependency upon him, and this is what prayer does. Prayer is the vehicle whereby God keeps us intimate with him and dependent upon him. Unfortunately, just like many human relationships, though, we can make the mistake, even in our relationship with God, where we can almost kind of start to ignore the Lord, just like you can start to kind of ignore a person and stop talking to someone or communication breaks down. And we fail to include God in our lives. We just kind of get busy and occupied, and then we get comfortable, and we start to think, well, I mean, just I kind of know this. It's, it's the pattern. It's the flow. And, and we just start kind of going on you know, the mode of just operation, self-sufficiency, independence, and all of a sudden we're kind of excluding God from our lives, and the only time we feel the real need is if it's sort of a, a 911 operator situation. And we start to use the Lord as kind of a 911 responder rather than just talking to him and including him in everything that's going on in our lives on a regular basis. And, you know, our level of frequency in communication often defines our relationship with a person. Communicating regularly is also what deepens relationships with another person. And the same is true with God. Our level of communication with God is often a clear definer of our relationship with God. And one of the best ways to deepen our relationship with God is to communicate with him. Again, if I can illustrate, imagine if a child would come and say to their father, hey, dad, it's, it's 7 a.m., I want to talk to you about a few things. I've got a few things on my mind, a few things I'd like you to take care of. Whoa, whoa. All right, Dad, that's, it's 7.10. i got some things i got to do. Talk to you tomorrow. I just, I'll get back to you tomorrow. I'm busy the rest of the day. Could you take care of those things today? And then they kind of went the whole rest of the day with no interaction, no communication. That would break the heart of a father because that father wants ongoing involvement all day long, relationship with that child. That's why, no doubt, Paul says here it's God's will to pray, but not just to pray, he says, but to pray without ceasing. Some of your translations render that continually. Now, the idea there is constant recurring prayer. He's not talking about uninterrupted communicating where you never stop talking. He's talking about just frequently, routinely, all through the day, whatever's going on and whatever we may be doing, asking for God's help and whatever you may be facing. Whatever you're trying to handle, whatever you're dealing with at that moment. Indeed, there should be times of regular prayer, most certainly, when we have our devotional time and we spend some time reading and talking to God about things, maybe at some point in the day. There should be times of prayer meetings where we intentionally gather and pray at certain times and intercede. But we also need to learn to live, God wants us to know, where we live in a continuous conversation with God 
all throughout the day. Continually being conscious of his presence. Again, the best way I can illustrate that is, is if you were to dial up God on your cell phone in the morning and leave that thing unmuted and all day long just leave the line open. And you never hang up all day. And periodically, as need be, and as it arises, you thank the Lord for something he did, or you talk to the Lord about something that's going on in your work. Lord, help me with this. Or maybe perhaps you're caring for children. Lord, give me grace and give me strength. Help me to know what to do here. Give me wisdom. Maybe why don't you doing some activity or you're handling a problem. When you're facing temptation, that in the midst of that, that you would call upon the Lord for strength and grace. In conversations with people, Boy, conversations may go way differently if sometimes we would have a dual conversation going on. Lord, help me. What should I say or what shouldn't I say right now? Lord, give me wisdom where to steer this conversation, when to speak, when to be silent. As we're ministering to people in the midst of an argument, how about when we're shopping? I lived with four women. That would be great. Pray during those shopping sprees. Lord, should I? Should I commit or shouldn't I commit? Again, the idea is keeping a constant sense of the presence of God and all throughout the day communicating with him. Determine in this week ahead to try and include God more, strive less, seek God and talk to God and ask God to do more and see if you don't find yourself experiencing the will of God in greater ways. Well, the third and final thing he says to us here that's God's will in verse 18, he mentions there, is that we would be grateful. He says in verse 18 to us, this is God's will as well, in everything give thanks. Well, this here tells us to be appreciative before the Lord. That is being thankful in our attitude before God. And again, let me be the first to say, that's not always our natural human tendency in our sinful humanity. Sadly, often we naturally gravitate, if we were to be honest, towards the opposite. We tend to be quickly discontented and complaining or we're dissatisfied or we fail to be grateful. Sometimes we're quick to be very cynical and complaining and criticizing others around us or what's going on. And we seem to kind of automatically focus on what we don't have rather than what we actually do have. Or we tend to put our attention and our frustration upon noting everything that we don't like that's going on rather than being thankful and blessed for at least what we do have that's going on. And we find ourselves kind of in this ungrateful attitude where we neglect thankfulness. And let me ask this morning, what causes a failure of thankfulness in the heart of human beings? Personally, I believe it's the selfishness of personal entitlement that we can tend to have in our heart very quickly. Where for some reason as people in our arrogance and in our selfishness, we kind of feel we're just entitled, maybe sometimes, to a whole lot more than we're really entitled to. And we find ourselves, therefore, ungrateful and frustrated and complaining all the time because we automatically assume that we deserve certain things, you know, I mean, especially in America. I got my rights, you know. This is America. I got my rights, you know. Nobody's going to tell me what I can or can't do. And, and we almost have this sense of entitlement that, that we're allowed to be captain of our own fate, master of our own soul, and that we deserve or are entitled to certain things, that we, certain things are almost guaranteed to us in this life. And you know, when I read the Bible, I really only see one thing ultimately that I'm really entitled to, and, 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 and that's perishing in hell forever. Anything beyond that is tremendous grace. It's a blessing from God. 
Is our country in a sad condition to some degree? Yes. But by the grace of God, I'll be the first to say I'd rather be living in this country than a lot of other countries right now and be appreciative and thankful for that reality. And I think that's why the Holy Spirit tells us here, be careful, because this can begin to dishonor the Lord when we find ourselves functioning like this as God's children. It's almost as if we're saying God doesn't do a very good job taking care of us. And that's why we're so ungrateful and dissatisfied. That's why he says, look, this is the will of God for you and I, that in everything we would give thanks. James 1 tells us every good and perfect gift is from above. That is from God. And so we should be in an attitude of appreciation before the Lord and really in the way that we speak before others. Because truth be told, would you agree, God has done many wonderful things in all of our lives. I mean, if we would just take inventory and recognize and consider it, God's done tremendous good things for us. And it gives us a reason to be thankful for those things. Now, I understand it is one thing to be thankful when times are good, but what about when we're confronted with the unpleasant things we go through in this life? Again, when we're enduring painful things or facing difficult circumstances, or maybe there's been a loss recently or horrible disappointment. Well, this verse says that we can, I should still, he says, notice, in everything. I don't say for everything, but he says in everything, you can and I should give thanks. Now, look, I don't think God's being unreasonable here. What I think God is reminding us of is though we may be in troubled waters, and some of you right now may be going through difficult days, maybe you're in a dark hour, maybe there's disappointment you're working through or some hardship and you're struggling to keep your head above water, despite those distressing things that we may be forced to go through in our journey on this earth, God wants us to realize that we can function and navigate those hardships differently than people in the world do because of our consciousness of God and our gratitude that God's involved. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that God works all things together for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I can say, Lord, if that's true, no matter what's happening, while in this situation, you're going to work something good through this. You're going to bring something beneficial out the other side of this. Thank you, Lord, that you're in control and still have a plan. Thank you, Lord, that you'll be with me through this hardship and that I don't have to go through it all alone in my own strength. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you'll use this time of difficulty to develop character in my life. And, Lord, you'll help me grow and see things about you that I never saw before, and you'll foster my spiritual life. Lord, thank you in the midst of this that you have power to do things that I could never do on my own and that you can help me still when it's not utterly helpless. Thank you, Lord, that though I'm disappointed that you always know what's best and you choose still to do what's best and ultimately show on the other side that you were in control and made the best decision. Thank you, Lord, you may be protecting me from something I can't even see. Thank you, Lord, most of all, my hope is not in this life, that my hope is in glory. And Thank you, Lord, that I have that anchor for my soul. And so see, even in the midst of the hardest things, we can still find those things to be grateful and appreciative towards the Lord. So again, do you want to do God's will? Maybe, perhaps, it's as simple as Stop talking about what you are so much and start using your words and expression to observe these truths, communicate to God more and to people less. And instead, celebrate the Lord, worship the Lord, 
Pray, seek the Lord. Tell God what's going on and what you want God to do and you want to change. And thank God that he's involved in the midst of it. And I would say this as well. If you want to know God's will in some unknown matter, the best thing to do is to start by doing God's clearly revealed will. That's, this is evident. This is God's will. And I have found that to the degree that we seek to do God's revealed will, that is, we're more prayerful, more worshipful, and more grateful, the unrevealed will of God becomes a lot more easy to see and to discern. Would you stand?